Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to episode 14 of the seventh season of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the weekly podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. Um, quick, a few social media shout-outs. So talking about the, the last song we covered, How Many More Days, Bob Reedy on Facebook said it was in reference to me um, sort of commenting that it, it reminds me of a Springsteen track. He says, oh, it certainly does. All round it does. The lyrics do, and Tom sang it like Bruce. Ben Mont's piano playing sounds like Roy Bittens here. They're two of the best, of course. Over on Instagram, um, at MikeMQT1979 says, um, I always got a Bob Seger vibe from that track. It's the piano for me. Great tune. And I hadn't thought about the Seeger vibe, but I can definitely hear that too now that Mike's brought that up. And this does make me think about the way that Ben Mont played that part. It's definitely different to the usual way he plays, and so you're going to notice shades of other players because of that, I think. I also wanted to give a, a quick but huge shout-out to my pal Corey Morissette. Corey was one of my Season 5 guests and has become a good friend over the last, I don't know, sort of 12, 12 months or so. He's also one of the best and hardest-working indie podcasters in the business, seriously. Um, his passion for talking about music combined with his seriously impressive ability to host a show, you know, keep everyone on task without being overbearing, it's just a joy to behold and, and to learn from. Um, I do bits and pieces of fun artwork for his show and the podcast will rock, which digs into the catalogue of Van Halen. And about a week and a bit ago, he contacted me to ask if I could pick up some items that he'd won in an online auction in Saskatoon, where I live. Uh, he's about five and a half hours south of here, so he couldn't really get uh, easily to pick them up. And they don't mail them out. So the things he asked me to pick up uh, were photos of Van Halen autographed by Eddie. He then tells me that to say thank you for you know me providing you know bits of hot work for his podcast, uh, that he's picked up a, a signed 8x10 of Tom Petty. Um, this speaks volumes about the character of, of Corey. I've never once asked for any sort of you know special thanks or consideration for, for doing that. It's just a bit of fun, and I, I really enjoy it, and it's such a great little um, community to be part of that it's, it's, you know, it's not a big deal, really. Uh, but he felt it necessary to say thanks in a way that he knew I'd truly appreciate. So I'll get the follow up on social media once I've found a frame that I like, which I haven't yet, um, so that you can see my newest prize possession. So once again, thanks, Corey, man. Uh, you really, truly are a, a wonderful human being. So today's episode covers the last song and title track from the Heartbreakers' seventh studio album, Let Me Up, in brackets, I've had enough. Don't forget to check out the episode notes to find a link to the song so that you can go give it a listen on YouTube or a re-listen before we dig into it. In Conversations with Tom Petty, Tom tells Paul Zolo nothing at all about this song. The fact that Tom doesn't delve into this song with Paul seems telling to me. His only remark is when Paul asks him where the title of the song, and hence therefore the album, uh, comes from. And Tom answers, Stan. I don't remember how, but it was his line. I wrote a song with it. In Warren Zane's biography, Petty, he notes that Tom still says that the title is the best part about that record, if only because it's fitting. You get the immediate sense that this is another of the live studio jams that was worked into a full song, but the track is actually the fifth Petty Campbell co-write, so it's more likely that Mike brought this one into the studio in some sort of shape, and then the band worked it out. The song starts with a decades-old tried-and-tested rock and roll guitar riff that, again, is dripping with Rolling Stones grease, crossed with the sort of Bob Dylan looseness. And obviously, with this being recorded in a break on that Bob Dylan tour, that's going to come through, I think. And the riff, almost certainly played by Tom, is quickly joined by Mike Campbell's very simple lead part. 
A couple of light cowbell hits. You don't hear a lot of cowbell in the Heartbreakers catalogue, do you? Uh, signal the introduction of the drums, and the piano also comes in at this point. It's a slightly flat intro, which is something quite rare in the Heartbreakers catalogue. And Stan's keeping fairly straight time on the drums during this one, but does throw in a couple of good sort of syncopated offbeats toward the end of the first verse. And that verse is augmented by the honky-tonk piano that Benmont's playing, but again, it's quite subdued, and I find it mixed a little bit awkwardly. Howie Epstein's bass only comes in at the start of the first verse, and I've talked a fair bit about the bass mix on this album generally, and this song might be one of the best examples of where the bass is it's basically lost in the low frequencies. You can barely distinguish the individual notes that Howie's playing, but if you listen to it closely enough, you can hear that it's actually a pretty cool bass part. You just can't hear it properly. Uh, the first verse sits entirely on the root D-flat chord. This is, you know, it's, it's, this is to give that big major key change to E more weight when we hit the chorus, but through the verse and chorus, this is basically a two-chord song. During the first line of the chorus, Stan Lynch's pattern changes to lead with a four on the floor on the snare and kick before breaking back into his previous kick snare pattern on the I've had enough line. Through this chorus, Tommy's really stretching his vocal to make the lyrics almost sound like light me up, I've had enough, rather than let me up. And he doesn't actually finish that last syllable in enough either, rather letting it just decay and fall off. We also hear some organ during the chorus, but again, it's mixed so low that you, it just doesn't really stand out. And you, again, it's just... You know it's there, but you can't really hear it. Um, coming out of the chorus and back into the next verse, we do get a very tasty little Stan Lynch descending Tom Phil, climaxing on the snare. Uh, and from here, we get another verse-chorus pair that's basically a carbon copy of the first, and this is going to end up being a bit of a criticism of this song. On previous albums, you become so used to small things being incorporated gradually or moved around an octave or played slightly differently to give verses a little movement. But this song doesn't really have much going on in terms of dynamics or chord inversions or anything really. And even coming out of that second chorus into the bridge, Stan and Howie are keeping the same verse structure in that rhythm section ticking along, so it doesn't feel uh, much different. It's a fun key change again, and might does some nice work in the center channel with some very subtle slide guitar, um, but overall it's a fairly muted bridge section. Coming out of the bridge, we head directly back into the third verse-chorus pair, and the song starts to feel a little relentless. Now, in its defense, this is a, you know, a reasonable decision if you contextualize what the title would imply. Let me up, I've had enough. It suggests a prolonged period of stress or negative emotion or pressure that is becoming too much for the antagonist in this song. The song then goes to the bridge section again, and we get another Stan Lynch fill leading us into the solo. And I'd say that the solo section in this song is by far the most interesting part. It's backed by the same rhythm section pattern, but the tone Mike is employing I don't think I can remember ever hearing before, and I'm struggling to think forward to a time when he would use it again. It's quite a bass, sort of heavy tone, and he plays the entire solo lower down on the fretboard. It also uses progressions and chording that sound less like a Mike Campbell solo than maybe any other to this point. There are a handful of Heartbreaker songs that Tom played solo on, but I don't think this is one of them for two reasons. First of all, this was a co-write between Mike and Tom, and Mike pretty much always plays lead on those songs. Secondly, that part is mixed into the left channel, and the panning on this album seems to be completely consistent with the first two albums. Mike on the left, Tom on the right. So through this section, I also really like the stuff that stands in on the drums. Um, he's flipping things around between the snare and kick, and filling heavily on almost every second bar. So yeah, that solo section, that's pretty cool. Okay, people, it's time for some petty trivia. Your question from last week was this. So we stuck with the Wilburys theme, and I asked you, 
which legendary blues musician appeared on the Wilburys Volume 3 album? Was it A, Eric Clapton, B, Billy Gibbons, C, Peter Green, the flute of Mike Graham, of course, or D, Gary Moore? The answer is... Ken Wilbury himself, the brilliant and much-missed Gary Moore. From Belfast, Northern Ireland, Moore was part of the group Skid Row. No, not that one. Actually, that one bought, they had to buy the band from the original Skid Row to avoid all sorts of uh, issues. But anyway, uh, Gary Moore would go on to perform with Thin Lizzy, very famously, um, including co-writing the sensational Still In Love With You. After this brief stint with Phil Linnett's sadly underregarded hard rock band, Moore would then concentrate much more on his solo career, the commercial highlight of which was the superb Parisian walkways, which you've never heard, please do check it out. And you know what, I'll actually put a, a link to that in the episode notes. Um, and it also featured his old bandmate Linnett on vocals. This single peaked at number five in the Irish charts and number eight on the UK chart. I don't know if it had any traction in North America. So again, I'll put that in the episode notes. Do check it out. It really is fantastic. Your question for this week is this. What Billboard album chart position did Let Me Up, I've Had Enough peak at? Was it A, 20, B, 17, C, 11, or D, 34? Okay, back to the song. Coming out of the solo, we go back into the chorus, but yet again, there's absolutely no difference between this chorus and the first, other than the organ being slightly higher and Mike Campbell adding in just sort of a couple of lead licks here and there. Uh, these are slight embellishments, though, and by the time the song heads into the fade-out, you can't help but be left wanting a little bit more from Heartbreaker's track. So the song was never played live, and really, you have two Stonesy blues rock tracks on this record, actually on this side of this record. Um, the track we're talking about today, obviously, and then Think About Me. The latter, to me, is superior in every way. It's better mixed, it's way catchier, it moves more, it definitely swings more, and basically, it renders Let Me Up I've Had Enough a little redundant to me. It's another rare example of a genuine filler track on a Heartbreakers record, and one where the title is most definitely the best thing about it, as Tom noted. Uh, if we also compare the production and mixing between the opening and closing tracks on side two of this record, it's hard to believe they were even mixed by the same person as part of the same sessions. I'll definitely get into this with John Paulson on the album rap episode, but I did do a little digging and realised that the mixing of this record was discussed in Warren Zane's biography. During this time, Tom had moved out of the family home and the first thoughts of ending his marriage to Jane had surfaced and were starting to really solidify into an actual direction. However, a call that Anna Kim, his daughter, had broken her arm brought him back. This did mean, however, that unlike his attention to detail during the mixing and final arranging phase of this record, uh, Tom was basically checked out of the process. He tells Warren Zanes that this record was different to previous ones because with that album, I kind of stepped out to the back alley for a smoke and didn't come back, just as we were finishing the record. I was ready to hand it off. I talked to Iovine and he felt Mike Shipley could take what we'd done and turn it into a record. It was the first time, the only time, I handed a Heartbreakers record over to someone else to bring it home. I shouldn't have. And he finishes by saying, you just don't give it over to someone who wasn't there when it went down. So who knows? You know, maybe this song and a few others on this record would have been better, um, just simply if they'd been better mixed. You know, and a good producer has input from the beginning to the end of a record, and Tom, being missing from that crucial final stage of mixing and mastering, undoubtedly had a negative impact on the record overall. And I think that all the production issues I've either alluded to or identified outright are really highlighted in this song. 
how his bass is barely audible at times, and you get this really stodgy, muddy quality to that low end. And the bass line itself, like Stan's drum pattern, is pretty sweet. You just can't hear it. I said this before, but it bugs me. <laughs> the drums don't sound great. Again, they sound a little flat, and the keyboards and piano are so inconsistently brought in and out that it's it gets a little bit distracting. The lyrics in this track are fairly sparse, but there are some Tom Petty pearls in there too. The first verse wonderfully describes the grind of the music industry. Work 20 years and they'll take care of you. They'll buy you a diamond, they'll send you on a cruise. Give it all your money, give it all your time, then you wake up one morning and wonder why. So a nice little uh, bite back at the industry, of course, there. And then in the second verse, that wonderfully pithy line, like a dog won't bark, like a bird won't fly. On to Tom's vocals. I just don't love this one. It's one of the very, very few, maybe only, you know, only two or three maybe, where I don't love the way Tom sings it. The chorus veers from sneering to almost whining. And again, there just isn't enough variety in the way he delivers verse, chorus, bridge to make me sit up and take a lot of notice. Overall, I think there's possibly a song in here that I could enjoy, but this definitely isn't it. Okay, Pettyheads, that's it for this week. One thing that does always strike me about this track uh, is how much of a Black Crows feel it has to it. Of course, the Crows were hugely influenced by blues rock bands of the 70s, and this song throws back to that era fairly unapologetically. But by the end of the song, I'm always left thinking, I've had enough. Again, a glaring rarity in the Heartbreakers catalogue. It feels rushed and rushed out, underproduced, and mixed really poorly. The result is a song that I never listen to outside listening to the record on vinyl. It's not on any of my mixtapes, and on a lackluster album, it's definitely one of the weakest tracks for me. There really just isn't anything here for me to get my teeth into, and I'm going to close out the songs on this album with a disappointing 4 out of 10. I'm almost certain that this is going to be the last song in the catalogue that gets a score that low, and I think it's only one of three so far, but it's just a hugely anticlimactic end to this album. Uh, please remember that you can continue to support humanitarian efforts in Ukraine in many different ways, and I would urge you to do so if you have the means. Also, you know what, um, it is Pride Month as I record this, so, you know, please make sure that, you know, well, I hope you are, be, uh, you're all allies to the uh, queer community. Um, I'm trying to think about what I can do, yeah, a little bit more concrete to sort of help out uh, and learn more. I think that's the, the most important thing. Um, the Tom Petty Project is a proud member of the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Go check them out on Twitter at Deep Dive Podnet. I'm sure you'll find something there that you like. And Corey is a three-time member of that, uh, that network. You should check out And The Podcast Will Rock. Backtracks Aerosmith and Backtracks Theme Music. And also, there's a new podcast I've started listening to um, based on heavy metal, which I don't really listen to a lot of, uh, but the host Quinn is just an absolute riot and brilliantly funny and informative and the production's great. And that podcast is called And Volume for All. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the episode notes as well. Uh, don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. Go follow, like, subscribe as applicable and you know, always leave a review and a rating or a rating if you can. Um, keep talking to me on social media. Uh, if I don't get back to you quickly, if I don't always get back to you, I apologize for that, but I'm doing, I'm starting for another podcast. Um, so I've got a bunch of podcasts on the go and also family and things. So I try my best, but I'll be a bit late sometimes. So, uh, the Tom Petty project is not affiliated with the Tom Petty estate in any way. And when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit the official YouTube channel or any of the official streaming platforms like Apple music or Spotify, or I don't know, wherever else you get your music. If you're looking for merchandise, go to TomPetty.com for all the official gear. Don't buy crap from uh, people who are just leeching off Tom's legacy and, and estate. 
Um, you can also go look at uh, my store. Uh, it's not There's nothing with Tom Petty's image or name on there, but I do have some stuff that I think is pretty cool tied into Tom's backstory and sort of legacy and, and history. Uh, don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook, uh, if you're not already a member of those groups, as they're excellent fan communities and they are well worth spending some time in. Also, go check out uh, Seaside Pod Review. That's my podcast that I do about Queen with, with my best friend, Mr. Randy Woods. Um, until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week for the first ever edition of The Petty Eight, a brand new feature of the podcast where I send eight deeper cuts to a non-Petty fan to listen to and evaluate. Bye-bye. Thank you.